0: Hey guys, this is Mackenzie and this is episode six. Recently, Laura came to me and she said, I have a story to share. And so I sat down one afternoon with Laura and she shared her story of growing up with symptoms that resembled ADHD and dealing with that and growing up and trying to just learn to cope with different mental health issues as an adult, even as a child And Laura shares all that with her and dealing with um, trauma as a child and what that looks like growing up. I'm very proud of Laura. She has continued to fight for her mental health and recently got a new diagnosis of ADHD because she knew that something wasn't right. I encourage you that if you feel like something isn't right, that you seek mental health professionals. Also, I hope Laura writes a book because, man, she's got some great stories. Anyways, um, in the middle, I kind of got a little hangry. I'm sorry I had to dip into the Cheez-Its. It was a late day, but I hope that you enjoy this story. I hope you feel like you're sitting around the table with Laura and I and eating Cheez-Its and sipping on a Diet Coke. Enjoy. All right, I am sitting here today with Laura and Laura, you are a teacher.
1: That's correct. <laughs> How long have you been teaching? This is my sixth year. I taught fourth grade for my first five years, and now I'm in third. Which one do you prefer? Mm, fourth. <laughs> Why do you like fourth grade better? Um, the maturity. I think that's been the hardest thing to adjust to, is that. Even I... in just one grade level? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, it's a huge difference.
0: Um, Why did you want to become a teacher?
1: I had trouble in school. I was not a good student. Um, And I just have memories of the few teachers who really built me up. And that just really inspired me. And so I've wanted to be a teacher since the first grade. Did you have trouble with like reading or was it like an academic
0: or was it um, another issue?
1: At first, reading was a struggle at first, but I don't know if it was truly a struggle or if that was more something that my parents were kind of overly concerned about because my older sister, Victoria, and my younger sister, Amanda, were already reading when they were three years old. And so I think... My parents were very concerned that I wasn't reading that quickly, but in reality, I was reading by the first grade, and I didn't continue to have any problems after that, but math was a huge struggle for me. Um, I remember doing after-school tutoring, and I remember sitting at the kitchen table, just crying my eyes out over my math homework, so that was definitely... Yeah, I never um, cried at the kitchen
0: table, but I did have to go to summer school (laughs) for fractions and division, and I will not forget that. And so when we teach those things, I it brings that memory up. (laughs) It's like trauma from that. Um, And so, as a student, were you a hard worker? Did you try? Did you?
1: Try to hide? It depends. So, I had a very, very hard time focusing. Um, My teachers noticed me staring out the window a lot, talking, or I was just in outer space. And I look back and realize that a big theme all throughout elementary school especially, was lack of focus and attention. And my teachers communicated that to my parents year after year. Um, And so I have a sense that maybe there was ADHD, Mm -hmm. potentially, and I still feel that, but my parents do not believe in ADHD. Oh, so have you learned how to, like, have you learned strategies
0: to cope? With how to, okay, so what are some strategies, especially as an adult? What do you do as an adult to stay on task to get things done?
1: I lost things a lot. Could not keep up with things. And so, unfortunately, that has meant that I've had to overcompensate in a lot of different ways. So, my house has to be perfectly clean and organized all the time and I have a place for everything everything in my house has a place where it lives oh it's the same thing with my classroom if something gets moved even an inch I notice
0: oh you would die in my house (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, oh I know I'm sitting in your classroom right now and I'm like how 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 oh I don't know either <laughs> but I know
0: where it is it might take me a minute to find it.
1: and what's really interesting now I don't have a diagnosis for ADHD I've never been tested but it's just kind of anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. that I'm collecting and I read somewhere that people one of the common things notice with people with ADHD is that they collect things in bags. Like, they oh. have things in bags, and the bags what? are just sitting, and that's me. Like... What do you collect in a bag? Just things, like... Like I, body
0: parts, or... <laughs> of course. This is not the True Crime <laughs> Like podcast. rat? Oh, this sorry. This is not Rotten like mango. This Rat
1: is... skeletons? Like, what are you no, collecting? like, I go shopping, and mm-hmm. I'll buy things, and they just stay there in the bag, or... Oh. Or I'll put items in a bag because I don't know what else to do with them and there's no place for them to live so I want them to live in the bag so that it's under control until later and then later never comes so in my bedroom there's just this corner in my husband and I's bedroom and we we just know it's there it's there and it gives me anxiety just to think about that corner of the room but there's just bags with things in them and Someday I'll go in there and organize it. But that day is
0: <laughs> I know come I always say, Oh, spring break, oh winter break, yeah. oh summer break, I'll take care of that.
1: And my classroom is the same way. I have to be very organized. The kids are very used to my O C D tendencies. It's very intense because I cannot handle anything being out of place or it will just get lost. It and I guess I just developed that over time. I think mm-hmm. um I got that from my mom. She was very methodical that way. And maybe those were some of her coping skills too. But everything has to have a place. I have to put my keys in the same place, my phone in the same place, my wallet in the same place. And every time I'm leaving my house, I have to say phone, wallet, keys. Phone, wallet, keys.
0: Like, do you have a diagnosis of OCD?
1: Um, I did have a therapist say there might be some mild OCD. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, is it? Because they're trying to cope with ADHD, or
1: and that's the that, thing. Yeah. So I do have multiple diagnoses at this point that I have been given: um, anxiety, PTSD, and insomnia. Um, and I just wonder if some of those things are actually a byproduct of a of ADHD. Um. Because you know, I actually looked it up. I kind of I've been doing some of my own research, but just so you know, mm-hmm. this came from Le Google, my favorite. Okay. Source. Yes. Yes. Um, hyperactivity. Mm. Hmm. I never stop moving. Um, fidgeting. I used to. Um, it's a podcast. No one can see my. I hands. know you're like doing something weird with your hands right now.
0: My like wiggle your fingers.
1: Uh huh. Like this, or I would shake. Okay. My hands would shake like this as a kid. Yeah. You can't see me on the podcast.
0: She's shaking her hands. I'm shaking my and hands wiggling her fingers.
1: Okay. And it got to the point where I finally had to start sitting on my hands. Mm. And I did that for a very long time. Anytime I had to sit, I would just sit on my hands until I finally got used to not doing that. Because other kids would make fun of me. Some would laugh mm-hmm. at me. And I couldn't handle the embarrassment. So I just sat on my hands until I stopped.
0: Have you ever, like, taught a student that you know flaps their hands and you like showed them how to sit on their hands like that would be a cool I actually
1: did tell my kids today some of them to sit Mm -hmm. on their hands yeah because they don't do the fidgeting they just mess with things which I get because it's
0: I know I have to be doodling I have to be like if I'm in a faculty meeting I'm drawing something because I can't it's almost like I can't process what you're saying to me if I'm not sketching
1: well, or see, I can't even... But I can't even draw. I can't even do something productive. My body just wants to move really badly. Oh. That's kind of part of how I got into running because the only thing that You could, just did your first Disney right? Yes, Is it your first Disney marathon? That was my first Disney race and it was a half marathon. And for some reason it's the only thing that calms me down Mm -hmm. and gets my brain to almost like reset and stop racing um but it doesn't last for very long (laughs) I'm just that I'm telling you that I'm like the type of person who I could run a full marathon take a quick nap and then I'm gonna be just as energetic the rest of the day it's exhausting to be me
0: so (laughs) Okay, so back. Let's go to running because that sounds okay. good.
1: So you run how often? Right now I've been doing a really terrible job. Um, I've kind of fallen off the wagon with it right now, but usually I try to do three to five times a week. Does it help with your insomnia if you run? Or It does. Okay. It does. I notice that when I'm not running like like I'm not right now, I do have trouble falling asleep. Um, or I sleep too much. I take lots of naps. Um, especially if I'm not eating healthy, too. My eating habits are terrible when I'm not running. Hence how I ate, like, all <laughs> of the Sour Patch. All the
0: Sour Patch twists that were in the classroom. Um, um, okay. So it definitely keeps you on track as far as, like, your diet. Your It helps with your
1: sleep. Yeah. It helps with everything. Really? I mean, it helps with my anxiety. It helps me process things. It helps me kinda of deal with stress at work. Like I can just kind of release all of that. Um, it helps me process my emotions. I love listening to podcasts while I run because mm-hmm. I can think about something that's like separate from my own life while I just zone out and it's really nice. Yeah.
0: I do love a podcast because it's like you're in front of the TV but not really. But I don't have to sit yeah. on my hands. Right, you can to watch the TV. Be moving around. Yeah. Hmm. All right, so you did the Disney half. Is that the longest race that you've done? I've Yes, I've only gone up to the
1: half marathon so far. So,
0: um, I think my favorite part of your story from Disney was the balloon lady. <laughs> and if you're not going fast enough, she, like, carries you off. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds traumatizing if you're out running and then <laughs> – <laughs> the lady just like shows up with the balloons, and you have to leave. I know i I, I would be running some... from the Balloon Lady,
1: I know, and I just love that she's the balloon Lady because every race outside of Disney, they have someone that they call them they just call them sweepers, but Disney has to be extra and call her the balloon Lady and have balloons, I guess because We're everything fine. has to be positive. so
0: um, that's terrifying is what that is. I don't... Sorry, Disney.
1: It's like a clown um, coming
0: after you. We do not condone that.
1: <laughs> no.
0: Um, I do want to ask you this, and you can say, I don't want to talk about that. Um, PTSD is one of your diagnosis. What... Um, do you talk about that? Do you share? Do you hide it? What... I mean, do you want to talk about your trauma here? This is a great place.
1: So, this is the part that's hard for me to talk about, but I... And I've given this a lot of thought about, am I going to share this? And I've gone over it in my head so many times. And I... The thing about PTSD... Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> She's got going. the Cheez-Its, y'all. Know, She's I'm ready. Hungry. Well, this is a lot of trauma. you got to eat the Cheez-Its. i so, eating for you. Yes. So... I almost feel like a fraud when I say like it feels weird to just say, Oh, I have PTSD. It feels really weird for me. Um, because when I think of PTSD, I think about people who've gone through some really truly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. traumatic events and like veterans and or people who have had their house broken into right. or um, you know I love true crime, it's my obsession, it's a little unhealthy. Um, but people who've gone through right. real trauma uh, or someone passing away when they're young and it's really hard. And so I feel so awful even using that term. And the only reason I mention it is because I'm still questioning it and because it was written on a piece of paper. I mean, it's really hard. Like from a physician? From a hospital. So okay. there was a time when I was hospitalized when I had... Uh, reached a point where I hadn't slept in six days my insomnia had gotten to that point and I had just kind of started talking nonsense and Mm. and there was a really big problem and so um some really good friends had checked on me one of my really really close friends took off work and cared for me at that time and um I it was it was a really strange strange experience that I don't know how to put into words, but I was hallucinating. Um, I was having flashbacks. I was just talking crazy. And of course I hadn't slept in six days. So everything was just m- so bad at that point. And my friends had been trying to get me to sleep. They had tried everything. And day six came around and it was like, we're going to the hospital. Yeah, Like so- we can't do anything else to get you to go to sleep. And we went to the hospital and Was this during the school year or was this
0: like summer break? This was
1: a summer break. Okay, okay.
0: I always like, that's how I think of things. Is it like summer break time? Is it spring break time? Is it, you know, and so it was a summer break. Okay.
1: And. Because I don't know how you would survive and come to work. I just was talking nonsense. And it was very clear when they came to talk to me, they thought I was on drugs. Mm -hmm. I mean I was I had lost it and of course when you don't get enough sleep your body it's crazy what your body does in your mind you just start my heart was racing all the time I would lay down and I just my my mind just went in circles it was terrible and everything that came out of my mouth didn't make any sense and everyone around me was just like I can't make sense of anything she's saying. I don't understand anything she's saying, and they looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, like they. So they finally they. Did and that it. had never happened to you before. Never in my life, never. And this was when I was twenty-five. I was twenty-five years old, and I had never been to therapy before. I had never gotten help before. I. I had started seeing a counselor, but um, I had just started. This was a, the year that I had just started recognizing that I might need some help. And so I, they pulled me. They sent this guy in with a mohawk. <laughs> um, and they said he was going to do a psych evaluation. Um, and I just remember he had a mohawk. Look, I was so sleep-deprived. I don't remember his name, but I remember he had a mohawk. And he came and sat down and talked to me. And I guess through that psych evaluation, they decided PTSD and insomnia. And it's so hard to explain. But I just, when I did that psych evaluation, he's trying to get to the bottom of, what's going through my head, not so much worried about the sleep part because he's basically a therapist. And I talked about my mom. I talked about my dad. I talked about my sisters. And I talked about teaching. And that's when I let out all that trauma Mm -hmm. was with him. And he got it. And for the first time I felt validated that I was a victim of some sort of abuse. Which is still hard for me to say because
0: right? it's not like a big scary event. Right. Was was it like over time one event? Like was it once you reached your teenage years? Like over time. Was it, like, sorry, you don't have to answer this. You can be like, (laughs) plead the fifth. Was it your parents? Was it your sisters?
1: Was it another family member? It was my parents. And so, basically, it kind of starts with my dad. So, in the 70s, in Nicaragua, there was a war going on. And it was between two groups of people. The Sandinistas And the Contras. And. um, I have to get this right. I always forget the exact. So the Sandinistas were trying to overthrow the government. And the Contras were like the rebel party. And my dad and his family. They were Contras. And what happened was. They started drafting young boys into the army to fight on the Sandinistas' side. And my dad was being drafted as soon as he turned 18. And my his mother did not want that for him. He did not want that. And I wish my grandmother was still alive because she was able to tell the story, she told all of this to me orally, I've never written it down. But basically, she wanted my dad to get an education. She did not want for him to fight in this war. And so she made the decision that she and her husband and my dad and his two sisters were going to the US. And I don't know how we're gonna do it, but it's gonna happen. Um, it's a little vague how they did it. Um, apparently, f- under U.S. standards, it was legal, but according to Nicaragua's standards, it wasn't. They found some way to sneak out of the country, and I've never known how. I mean, did they like just walk? I don't know. it kind of cracks me up because yeah. they won't tell me. <laughs> And I guess it must have been really bad. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. There's a big question mark there of how did you do it? Um, so I don't know. But you, they came to the U.S. They came to the U.S. And where did they land? Um, they ended up in Florida. Um, the I'm sorry that my story's a little choppy. My grandmother's not here. <laughs> but my dad, he was a very good student. He was very, he's a very intelligent man. And so he um, earned himself a full scholarship to the University of Florida. I believe his first two years of college, he went to school in Honduras. And then he went to University of Florida. He got a bachelor's, a master's, and a PhD all in one go, which is crazy wow. to me. For an immigrant to come to the United States. And, and he didn't speak English.
0: Yeah, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, Um And that's something I take a lot of pride in. Like, Mm -hmm, my dad's mm -hmm. story is amazing. And the fact that he took such a terrible situation and he had to learn English, he had to get by on nothing. I mean, I think they came with maybe $500 in their pocket. And they had to find a way to go to school. Um, And my grandparents were just kind of, I mean they lost everything mm-hmm. they it was only them that came they left all of their extended family everybody that mattered to them all their friends everybody behind and i don't know how they processed that but i think i mean did they stay in
0: touch with them like could they if they fled can they reach out
1: to their family they could mm-hmm. yeah but they didn't go back and see them again mm-hmm. And over the years, whenever someone in our family passed away or a friend, it was just a phone call letting my grandmother know that, oh, your brother passed away. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't seen him for Yeah, and she never got the closure. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get closure that way when it's just a phone call letting you know this person is gone? I guess you just
0: kind of become tough to that or I don't think you callous is not the right word but that's a lot that's oh hard. my
1: grandmother she was very depressed she took antidepressants um, do you she think was, she regretted that move ever think, to give her kids a new start I, I wonder that I wonder yeah. that because there were so many times as she got older that she wanted to go back to Nicaragua so bad Yeah, that is all she wanted like and my dad and my mom had to keep talking sense into her and saying, like, you can't go back. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing for you there. It's not going to be the same like it was. Right. You She had health problems. You're not going to have access to all the things that you have here. You know, you can't really compete with the United States when it comes right. to health care Healthcare yeah. and, and all of these things. Like She had this idea in her mind that she was going to go back and... I guess that it would be like it was, and she'd be surrounded by loved ones. And I feel terrible that she never got that, you know. Do you think your dad struggled at all? My like dad that? is a very hard man. And so my grandmother told me that when they came to the U.S., my dad changed, he became very serious, very quiet. He didn't smile anymore. He didn't laugh. And that's the dad I grew up with.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Just so... I was afraid of my dad. I was deathly afraid of him. Because he never smiled. He didn't laugh. He didn't... I think when I was little, he tried to play with me at times. And there were moments, there are little moments I remember where it seemed like he just enjoyed me. But for the most part, it was very hard to relate to him. It was very hard. Um, my, so my dad believes in education. He believes in it. He always told me, if you can just get an education, you have the key to everything you need in life. He's just a firm believer yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he
0: has probably seen that firsthand, yes, right? because so. that's
1: how they survived. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing they could do. It was their only chance. But what happened was, and I don't know if this comes from his trauma or if this is just his personality. I don't know. But he and my mom kind of became this perfect storm of, like, verbal comments that let my sisters and I know, like, This is what we expect. And anybody who isn't this way just isn't doing. It's so hard to explain. So maybe I should just kind of get into it. But my dad made a lot of comments about our bodies growing up. He would tell me, your stomach has too much fat. Um You're starting to gain some weight, Laura. You really need to stop eating so much. You're going to be fat one day if you don't stop eating so much. Um, He started cutting me off, like, from the kitchen and telling me, You've had enough today. He was just very hard about it. Um, And this was in, like, middle school. When you're kind of going through that awkward phase mm-hmm. where your belly kind of pokes out a little because you're about to get a little taller. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like every girl you, goes You grow through, out before you grow up. Yeah, you yeah. kinda just go bloop, bloop. Yeah. And um is that was that that really affected me a lot. And I noticed he did it to my mom too. And I don't know how she dealt with that and it I feel like the the relationship between my dad and my mom was strange because my dad had all these expectations for my mom as a mother um she didn't work she didn't have a she doesn't have a college education so growing up I think she taught piano lessons at some point but for most of my childhood she was a stay-at-home mom and my dad expected her to Take care of the kids, take care of the house, take care of dinner. That was her role. Mm-hmm. And if she wasn't meeting up to that, then he was going to be angry. And he was the breadwinner. He was the the one who took care of us. And he was in charge. No questions asked. Um, and so I didn't do well in school. I was the one who... Um, because I had all these issues early on with like not being able to focus and I struggled so much you know as I started getting older I cared less and less about school because it just felt so exhausting to do school it was so exhausting for me and because my parents don't believe in mental health they don't believe in mental health disorders they don't believe in things like ADHD because they didn't believe in those things they placed blame on me. It was, you're lazy. It was, you're not trying hard enough. And I think at some points they thought I was stupid. And that combined with my body and me being a little bit larger than my sisters, just completely destroyed my self-esteem. And so my mom, we'll just go ahead and move on to my mom. Um... She was all about spanking. That was her parenting method. But the way that she did it every day was difficult because my mom didn't seem like she wanted to be a mom. She didn't seem like she enjoyed having kids in the house. And so every little thing that I did that she considered wrong, it was a spanking. If I laughed too loud for too long, if I raised my voice too much, if I left a glass of water sitting on the table, if I did anything remotely wrong, she would just blow up, Um, she would scream. And it was so loud that the neighbors could hear. And she would just spank. And when she did it, she just screamed. And it was terrifying. But it was like that every day. And it was like that for my sisters. And it was just normal to us. We never knew any different. And there's this huge debate about spanking. I know it's, everyone has a different opinion on it. Um, My, the therapists I've talked to have said, if it's an open hand, it's okay. If it's a closed fist, then that's when it gets to being something different. But a lot of people don't believe in it. My therapists claim it is a form of abuse the way that my mom did it. So there's kind of this debate in my mind of like, was that physical abuse? And I don't know but my mom was very religious but her way of being religious wasn't that she went to church it wasn't that she really practiced what she preached it was that she used it as a parenting tool so I kind of wrote down some of my favorite quotes cleanliness is next to godliness when you sin Jesus turns away from you and cries If any of my children were gay, I would kill myself. Gluttony is a sin. So that went back to the eating. Um, God says you cannot condemn others, but you can judge their fruit. Um, And she would have me sit down and pray every night, ask God for forgiveness for my sins. But my sins were so little. Yeah. Yeah. You were
0: a tiny kid.
1: I was a tiny kid, and my sins were just that I didn't listen to my mother that day, that I didn't clean up after myself, that I disobeyed her. Those were my sins. And I thought that I was just the most terrible child ever. I must be, because why else would someone hit me every day? Yeah. And, like, I just must be, like, the worst daughter. And my dad didn't accept me for who I was, he thought I wasn't very smart, that I was lazy, my mom thinks I um, am so misbehaved and that I just can't get it together and it just built this feeling inside of me like I just can't do anything right. And my mom would say, I'm gonna hit you just hard enough to not leave a mark. And How has
0: that helped you be as a teacher? Like, I know we work with kids every day, and I imagine you have seen kids walk in this building or, you know, in your old school. How has that helped you as a teacher? Like, do you think it's
1: helped you I understand feel like them? I'm so cautious about what I say to them because. They will get on your nerves. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they will make you want to scream sometimes, these kids. You know how it is. When you've told them the same thing a million times and they still haven't done it, or you know, some mm-hmm. of my kids this year have had some issues with, you know, taking items that don't belong to them, and lying, and you know, we, they're kids. They just, yeah. and we've had to talk a lot about a, a lot of different issues. And I've, ha- I've taught all kinds of kids over the years and had kids with behavior problems. But I always stop myself before I say what it is that I want to say. And I, there are certain things I just don't believe I'll ever say mm-hmm. to a child, whether it's a child at school or if I were to have my own kids. The one thing I refuse to do is to make them feel bad about who they are. And I emphasize as much as I can, I love you, but I'm not happy with your behavior mm-hmm. right now. Your choices. It's yeah. your choices, mm-hmm. and I need you to start trying to change that. And I'm just so careful because it's like my mom didn't know the difference. It's as if it's as if she didn't know about child development. She didn't know that normal for kids to be loud it's normal for kids to make a mess it's normal for kids to be kids i think she just didn't like
0: kids (laughs) Where is your mom from you didn't you told us about your dad but where's your mom from
1: um she said she's from illinois but when she was little they ended up going to gainesville florida and that's where she was raised and lived most of her life was in Florida and that's how my parents met was because she was working as a secretary. I guess they don't call them secretaries anymore but back in the day. <laughs> a person who helps. A decept- assistant. A de- an assistant. A receptionist. Um, She worked as a secretary at the University of Florida and my dad was working on his PhD and that's how they met. Oh that's folks. fun. Okay. They were introduced to each other.
0: Okay I just you know I wonder like where she grew up, like, if that mattered, how she, like, was she this way because her family, that's how they were? You know, that's how her mom was. You know, you think, always, like, it's cycles. Everything's always, a cycle.
1: Yeah, she always quoted her mom. Mm-hmm. She would say, my mom said, use the flyswatter. My mom said, my mom was the youngest of six kids. Um, I know that when I was growing up, My mom's parents were old. (laughs) I mean, they were in their 90s. Um, They grew up... I know that they lived through the Great Depression, her parents did. So I know they are a much older generation. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was how she was parented. Maybe her mom wasn't great with kids either maybe it's because my mom was the youngest of six and all her older kids had moved out and maybe she was just kind of done I didn't want to really have kids around anywhere I don't know I never got to know my grandmother because she was old and Mm -hmm. sick and my grandparents passed away when I was in high school and You don't really get to see much of who they are when they get to that state. Yeah. When they're in their 80s and 90s and they're really, really sick and they're bedridden. You don't... Mm -hmm. I never saw or really got to Well, it's hard for them to travel to you. And it's hard as a
0: mom to carry three kids to go see them, Mm -hmm. right? And traveling can be expensive, I'm sure. Um, Okay, so I'm going to flip this. I haven't even given you this question, so it probably will throw you for a loop. If a kid walks in your classroom and you know that they there is trauma um how are you going to treat them like if you see some of the same behaviors that you had and you know that stuff's going on at home like how are you going to treat them what are you going to do to make sure that you make a good impression get them help what are you going to do Right nothing? Are you going to do nothing?
1: Nothing. Um, Right now I have a new student who goes to counseling. I already know this just from talking to our counselor. And she's very sensitive. I I see a lot of the same things like where other kids will pick at her and she will just cry. (laughs) And she's just so sensitive. And I was the same way because if you're constantly being berated in your home environment and you have your dad making you feel like nothing you do is good enough. I mean, I could, I could get a PhD in neuroscience and run the Boston marathon just to add something onto that. And my dad would still not be happy. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I kind of lost my turn of thought cause that made me sad to say that. Wow. Um, was he happy that you were a teacher? No. No.
0: <laughs> I just wondered, like, if you can't be a neuroscientist, yeah. what's he going to say about
1: a teacher? Yeah, my parents did not approve of that. Um, my sister, Victoria, was going to um, go to medical school, and she realized very quickly she hated it. And when she finally told my dad, I would like to do something different, he told her he was disappointed in her. And... She was very destroyed from that. Mm -hmm. Um, She, uh, in college, she took organic chemistry. Um, She was in these really, really, really difficult classes and she failed organic chemistry. And, And this was when she was trying to get eventually to medical school, that was her track. And she was crying. I had never seen her crying like that before because Victoria, like, she was always so tough. Like, she was the one who had it together. She was the perfect one. She was the one who always got the best grades. She was good at every sport, every video game, everything. She was good at everything, and it was annoying. And I was like, why is she crying? Like, what is going on? She had failed organic chemistry, and she was preparing herself to tell my dad she had failed. And my mom you know things are really strange in the ramirez household when all of a sudden your mom is the one who's the logical one because she's over here like trying to comfort her and telling her like it's okay like it's okay you don't need to be this upset like it's gonna be okay we'll figure something out and i i walked in and i'm not proud of this i was young and i was so used to putting myself down and um just not caring to protect myself that I was just kind of like the OCs get degrees type for a while. (laughs) And I went in there and I was like, Victoria, come on. Like I have failed things. before. I have failed a test. It's no big deal. Like, so you failed a class. You can just retake it. Like, this is so not a big deal. Like get over it. (laughs) And she looked at me and she screamed. She said, I do not fail. People like me do not fail. Oh, gosh. And, oh, my gosh. I just thought, like, okay, Victoria, you're being a drama queen. Like, this is (laughs) ridiculous. Like, calm it down. But later on, I realized, like, that was her breaking point. Mm -hmm. Like, that was her finally losing it from all the pressure that my dad had put on her. And it wasn't too long after that, like I said, that she told him, I can't do this. I'm not, I can't do it. And she ended up going into food science instead. Um, (laughs) She took a class on chocolate. I'm jealous. (laughs) So with these kids, like, I see kids like that who clearly have a lot of pressure on them. I feel like the kids, especially the kids, like, that are in the gifted, you know, program, I've seen kids who are just so overly perfectionist and I worry about that and I worry about how much pressure their parents are putting on them when they're contacting the school all the time and are asking like, why isn't this their grade? And, and just so intense because one day it's going to catch up to them. It's going to catch up to that pressure. Um, but yeah, I have a, a student that just came to me, and like I said, she reminds me of myself, and I just let her hug me, honestly, mm-hmm. and I I just let her talk to me, yeah. like, about whatever she wants to talk about, mm-hmm. because when I was in school, I I was so isolated. I didn't really learn how to make friends, because how can I learn that if My parents are the way that they are, and they're so closed off, and they didn't allow me to spend time with kids outside of school. I wasn't allowed to go to sleepovers. I wasn't allowed to leave the house. I was kind of under lock and key, and so the other kids, they had friends. They were involved in sports. They were doing all these things, and so they all had friends, and I didn't, and I also had a hard time focusing so my grades weren't the best and I felt terrible about myself and this little girl the other kids are picking on her she just got to our school they're picking on her they're telling her they don't like her they don't want to be her friend. And then the more that they're mean to her, the more she tries to be their friend, Mm -hmm. and it's just not working. And I just think to myself, like, wow, like, this kid is me. Like, I totally relate to that. Trying to make friends. You want to look pretty. You want to do your hair and your makeup. And... I remember the other kids making fun of me if I put makeup on or if I did my hair a different way or if I tried to wear something that looked pretty, they would just tease me. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have a skin condition, so that didn't help. Um, Kids are kind of cruel and made fun of me for that. In the fifth grade, a boy called me ugly and I'll never forget it. (laughs) Um, And... I laugh about it, like I'm going through this really fast because I know we're kind of running out of time. But my self-esteem was just so low. And so just for the sake of brevity, like as I got older, things did get worse before they got better. I never got into drugs. I never was interested in anything like that, thank God. At least I didn't go down that path. But um, I did get way too interested in boys I very much needed their approval I very much needed to feel validated in the wrong ways Um, and I won't go into like a whole bunch of detail about that because this is a PG podcast but (laughs) um, I things got better when I finally made some really good friends and These friends are still my friends. I still, one of them, like her dad just passed away and I am totally going to the memorial. I'm going to see her soon and I'm so excited because I haven't seen her in forever. But there's no way I would miss it because this friend was like there for me, like in every way. And I just, it amazes me the power of friendship. It really does. It sounds cheesy, but I have just made some of the best friendships with people who pulled me out And who just like built me up. And um, because the thing about verbal abuse is that you believe that about yourself until someone from the outside finally tells you it's not true. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have friends, if you're isolated, nobody's able to tell you that. Nobody's able to validate you. And so I I have this analogy. I do want to mention my analogy. (laughs) I have this analogy that I heard back when I used to go to church in high school. Um, I had this wonderful friend. We're still friends. Named Kelsey. And she was so, so, so amazing. Just very empathetic. And this preacher, he looked at her in front of everyone and said, Kelsey, you have this gift of just you see people who are invisible and you make them feel like they're worth something and it's almost like you're dropping pennies in their lap and to you it's just a penny it's not a big deal it's just a penny but to them it's like gold Mm-hmm. and that's the way we should be as a teacher right <laughs> yes. like that's a really
0: good um I mean just in life in yeah. general I like that I like yeah. just the small things that you do can make a big difference in someone's life right yeah. we should all be like Kelsey yeah that's the motto that's, Be like Kelsey that was like my conclusion yeah. like drop pennies but make them feel like dollars <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I no got okay. <laughs> yeah. I got dollar. That was, I got dollar. That <laughs> was like don't do that guys, don't do that. Um that's impressive and I think that that's a really good I mean if we walk away from this with I do have another question for you but that but like if we walk away from this like knowing that our words matter to anyone. Right? Yeah. And not just our own children, not just our own families, but the students we encounter every day and the people that we see that make it count. Yeah. Um, I hate to cut your story off because I it <laughs> has, like, lots of twists and turns. Um, Laura's going to write a book. Um, and it will be out 2025. <laughs> Great. Um, and so I always want to ask if you could give one tip, one... Um, Maybe there's an object that you love, an accessory, a strategy. What makes you the best teacher? Like, mine is my teacher bag that I don't have today. Um, so don't, I can't show it to you.
1: Can but I like, say my Apple Watch? Am I allowed? Is that? I, I think so, Okay, yeah. here's the thing with I the I do Apple. like mine, too. Listen, mm-hmm. I know it's not a teacher item, but it's become so helpful because emails they just pop mm-hmm. right up. And I right. can at least see the subject line. Okay. Like, you can't... You can't I can't just run over to my computer check my email. Listen. Right. I love it. I love it. I know what mm-hmm. time it is. Yes. In all areas of the I can set a timer. Like,
0: I'm... You know, I co-teach. So I have a lot of special ed students. And so I use the timer frequently. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I will tell you... Um, a couple of years ago, I was teaching, and I kept losing my phone in the classroom because I would get up to walk around and do groups or walk around and set it down, and I kept losing it, and I couldn't find my phone. And my mom bought me an Apple Watch so I could ping my phone and find it. Yes. And that was like yes. a lifesaver. I I mean, I have to change mine from my teacher bag to my Apple Watch because it is a dream. Yeah.
1: Your Apple Watch loves you too. I know, and if you talk to it too closely, it will respond.
0: It's true. Um, Well, thank you for sharing your stories, um, your story, and I hope that you do write a book, put it out there.
1: Oh, there's so much I didn't mention. I'm ready. Yeah, I know.
0: Um, Get it out there because you know you just never know what impact your words could have. Just like Kelsey.